the summit in Miami, Florida, the Gore presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Bill Buma and Jay Fletch. Today's topic, farming, who, what, when, and why. Jay is a soldier, and he ha- his process is unfreaking believable. He just crushes me in process, and that's why like his numbers just continue. When you look at um, continue to increase, um, and he has no volatility, doesn't have up and down because he is a soldier and does it every day, every day. And that's all of us. And you look at us coaches, like you know, there's day we have our days. There's days where I just don't get it done. And majority, we just do it a little bit more than all of you guys. But he does it a little more than everyone. He is just a soldier and follows the plan and structured. Doesn't matter what's going on. When he is there working, his mindset there. And that's why he's right at the top of the list of all realtors every year. Jay crushes it. It's going to be a pleasure being up here teaching with you, brother. My honor. Um, yeah, met Phil at first summit. And they talk about, you know, a Phil of all the coaches, as most of you are aware of it, he has a following. He has a following. And first summit, I'm watching him, and I'm going, you know what? I'm going to build my business like him. And we, Rick talks about how Phil was one of the only realtors to seek Rick out, to chase Rick, right? I seeked Phil out. I chased Phil. I was his groupie, right? I could have, I would have autographed all of it. Can I get your bags? What can I do? And the reason being is, I saw his business, I saw how fast he did it, I saw his team, I went and did a site visit with him even though I wasn't one of his students, like I was going to grow my business like Phil. And what I've learned is, you grow your business, the best version of your business, but you take some of the best qualities that Phil has and you apply them to your business. The guy is lights out, one of the most sought after, charming, caring people I can't tell you how many times I'm on a coaching call with him, and he is getting lit up, and he is smiling. And I'm like, how does he do it? So if there's one thing that I've always admired most about you, it's really the fact that you're charismatic, high character, you're fun. Like, you can do business even without having systems. But when you have systems and structure, you're a superstar. But it's just like, I love spending time with you. And I consider Phil in the core... One of my closest friends, he's one of those guys where if he called me, I don't care what time of the day, if he needed me to be somewhere, I would be on a plane and be there, no questions asked. That's how much I love this guy. I appreciate it. No, and that, what Jay said, he kind of hit the nail on the head there, is every one of us are so different and we take things from each other. Like he is super processed, super dialed in. I am just go out and meet a ton of people, connect with them. And I will just do deals. So if you connect all of that, and we'll talk about our farming, some of the stuff we do very similar, some of the stuff we do a little different, but I have learned just even in teaching this class, and there's stuff that I wrote down that I'm going to make sure you guys write down, and we're going over the class. I'm like, man, I got to do that. I'm not doing that. So that's the important part. And the thing I love about the core the most is that every one of us learn from one another. And there's these little pieces, and everyone have our own way of doing business. But if we follow the process, I had no process before the core. you know, And that's why I went from – you know, running 80 hours a week, doing 10 million, to now doing 130 million, working 45 to 50 hours. That's what process does. And then I focus my time and attention, as you guys know, just on prospecting, putting deals together, meeting with clients, and I'm not running all over the place, and I am not printing farming. Obviously, we're going to talk about farming. We're not going to talk about 
printing the farming because that'll be whether it's your team or obviously you're subbing that out and contracting that out. So we're going to talk about doing the farming, but that's not us physically doing it. But we're going to help you with selecting a farm, who you farm to, all that kind of stuff. Before we get started, raise your hand if you're currently farming right now. Raise your hand if you're farming right now. What's about about um, a little less than half, probably 40% are farming right now. So how many people farmed and stopped farming? How many people stopped farming? Okay, so there's a few of them. So what we're going to start with first, MJ, if you could flip that page. What is your biggest, your biggest, I guess, issue or problem of why you're not farming or why you're not farming enough? Even some of you guys are farming. You're probably not farming regularly, right? You're, you might not be doing it regularly. You might want to add another farm. What is your concern and, and issues of why you're not farming. Raise your hand and I'll come to you with a mic. Why you're not farming. Got to be a reason. If you're not doing it, why aren't you doing it? Because you haven't taken this class yet. Maybe that was one of them though. <laughs> I tried it a few years and wasn't getting a good return on investment. So I stopped. So did you do it for a full few years or you tried it a few years ago? I did it for two years. Two years. All right. So um, you put two years in. Didn't, did you track the results? Track the results. Nothing there. So we maybe okay. So we're gonna look. We're gonna look at some numbers and could be the wrong farm, could be the wrong area. But we'll talk about that. Any other concerns with with farming? I'm gonna come over here. So I guess I'm gonna run because Jay already ran up this flights of stairs because he was at the class the furthest away from this one. So I'll run. The mic. And, and by the way, Rick did that intentionally. <laughs> he put me in two classes back to back, the farthest away, because he weren't, currently wants to get my average steps up. There you go. I have a few reasons why. First of all, I don't want to start without having an actual plan for at least six months or a year of what I'm going to send, and I want it to be of value. Secondly, I want to farm the area that I live in, and I already get farming crap from about four other realtors, maybe five. And thirdly, I'm a little bit nervous to farm in the area that I live in because I want to have peace and privacy, and I'm worried that I will break that if I farm it. Okay, so I'm going to talk a few things. So it does take 6 to 12 months, so you do have to put the time in. Um, the question I have for you on the four pieces of farming that you get now, do you get it regularly on a monthly basis from other agents? So not every month, but quarterly. Do those agents handle a lot of the market share in that market, in your neighborhood? So 5 to 10%, so that's great. We're going to talk about numbers and, and percentages. Here's the deal. Whatever neighborhood you live in, you're a realtor, you can't want privacy, unfortunately. You're going to have your time in privacy, but you want to be out about in the neighborhood. That's one of the things that's really increased my price point. As you move up with your house and you farm and market and you're seen in that neighborhood, you will do business in that neighborhood. Every neighborhood that I've lived in, I've done business in. So we're realtors. We have to be out and about and be present in our communities. So um, it's just, I think if you're not farming your neighborhood, that's one of the first places that I would say to do is in your own neighborhood, you're going to be out there walking around if you have kids or dogs and be in your yard, you know, planting flowers, whatever it might be. You want people to know you and see you in your same neighborhood. It's so easy to do it. So you're going to have to unfortunately figure a way to mentally get over that. And, and for Phil, it's easy because he's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I don't want people knocking on my door. I don't want people really knowing where I live. So I farm my neighborhood. And sometimes I just have to smile and wave and get involved in pity conversations about Bob not having his grass cut correctly because I farm my neighborhood. But my neighborhood is also the highest price point in my city. 
cycle. I can't not farm my neighborhood just because I don't want to run into people in my neighborhood. I don't enjoy it, but I do it. Based on turnover, if my neighborhood doesn't have the 10% turnover, you still farm in it? So we're going to talk about turnover percentages. So you have to have a decent amount of percentage, and it needs to be north of that 10%. So I would say if there's a way to expand and do your neighborhood in another or something that's, that's close to that, I, I think you have to have more than how many houses are in your neighborhood total? So 1,000, so 10%, so is, it, is it 5%, 6%? So that's still, that's still 60 homes, right? Yeah, 60 homes is good. I mean, how would you like one listing a month in your neighborhood? Okay, there you go. One or two is good, right? So if you got 60, so it depends on, it's not just a percentage, it's the size. So if you've got 1,000 homes and it's 10%, that's 100 homes that turn over. If you can capture 10%, not, not bad, you know. So it's really just a percentage of, of how many houses you want. So we're going to talk about farms, per, the percentages, all that kind of stuff. So We're going to talk about geographic and demographic. You've got different styles of farming. I do both. Um, I believe you just, you're geographic mainly, right? Yeah, so I do both. Just geographic. So I'll explain that. Um, we'll talk about absorbing rate. We'll talk about turnover rate. We'll talk about best practices to select a farm. Phil's already hit on one of the number one one of the number one criteria for your farm, if you live in the farm, you've got a leg up, even if there's competition. So we're going we're gonna to kind of hit on that. So, so far, some of the reasons you're not farming, we have, I farmed for two years and it didn't work. So maybe we'll die, spend some time and dissect what didn't work. Or maybe that will come clear when we start talking about what we do. You might look at it and say, oh, man, maybe that's why. I didn't have a call to action. I wasn't consistent. The colors didn't match. They didn't know who I was. I spelled my name wrong. Whatever that might be, that's there. Uh, and um, they, uh, that wasn't a joke. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. That wasn't a joke. I had postcards going out with the wrong phone number and the wrong last name. So that wasn't a joke. It happened. Now, good chance that my farm wouldn't work if it had the wrong phone number and last name. But there's a Fletcher out there that probably has a, got a lot of business, right? <laughs> so we'll look at that. So plan, six-month value. Yes, adding something of value is going to be one of the huge things to get into a, a higher ROI out of your farm. And there's things, too, that we're going to talk about, and we'll circle back around this. There's things called the stacking effect. So there's ways you can make your farm more valuable, and there's ways you can get a higher call to action if you apply some other things that maybe not necessarily fall in the farming category. For instance, I do a food truck for my farms. I do a food truck for my farms in the cul-de-sac. And I, one of my postcards is the food truck. So that's one of those things where you can get a stacking effect. I will personally do an open house in my farm. Why? Because I can hear about Bob's grass. Yeah, I don't agree with it either. I hire it out, but he's retired. It looks really good. But the people come in and talk to me because they see me in the farm versus someone else. So there's things like that where you can have a stacking effect, which will get you a higher return on your farm. So we'll kind of hit on that. Hey, oh, before we go any further, if you didn't write that down, stacking effect, I just wrote it down. I think it's stacking effect. One of the stacking effect could be a neighborhood that you live in. Okay, that's a stacking effect. It's more as a food truck. And there's going to be some other stuff that Jay brings on later that he stacks on. So there's, it's being more visible and not just getting a random postcard and they don't know who you are or where your office is 
Um, it's just being more visible. As, as stacking effect is being more visible and doing more things for your community. Food truck. I've, I've heard people do stuff for Halloween or yeah, or for Christmas, Easter egg hunts, like different things you can do in your farm area. And farming is just one of those added pieces. So um, I know we talked about a couple concerns. A couple others I want to write up here that I had some people yep. ask me when we were talking about this class is. The cost. Some people are like, well, it's going to cost too much money. I don't want to spend the money. So I'm going to put cost here. The other one, my writing is a lot worse than Jay's. Um, the next one um, is some people are like, my team is overworked. How can I add one more thing to do? So who's going to do this farming? So that's another one. As your team is overworked, who's going to do it? All right. Um, who's going to send it? And making it automated and efficient yeah. and trying to take you out of it and try to even reduce the amount of Time and energy your staff puts into it. There's all sorts of different sources. When you get the farm set up, it should be set it and let it run. I mean, mine's really set it and let it run. And, and we'll kind of cover that too and whatnot there. Um, Phil, I think I asked you when we were covering the class and talking about just listed, just sold, offer accepted cards. You do those around your listings. So I, I do do. You, you do four of them. I do. So I do just listed and then just sold. Okay, and I do... Coming soon, just yep. listed, offer accepted, just sold. So you do those on all your listings, whether they're in your farm or not. Correct. If they're in your farm, do you include the whole farm or are you doing 100? Are you doing 200? I still do the whole farm. So I think it's just farm. more things than just doing the monthly farm and then just adding that when we list a new house, when we sell a new house. So if it's outside your farm, mm -hmm. are you doing 100, 200? It depends on, again, we talked about the every door direct and dependent on that market area. That is direct. So I don't know if we want to talk about the every door direct now. Um, okay, well, well, yeah, we'll hit on that. So where I'm going with this is if you take the gist listed. So like, I said, like Phil said, I do four. And in this market, my staff has actually come up to me and said, Jay, do we really need to do four? Like by the time we do the gist listed card, we have to do an offer accepted card. <laughs> I mean, the gist listed goes out on Friday because I do mine on Fridays. That's when we bring our listings on. And usually I'm doing the offer accepted card on Monday. So, I mean... I don't know about your post office. Mine's 24 inches of snow on a regular basis. Sometimes they get stacked up. So, but it's powerful because a lot of people don't look at the just listed, just sold, offer accepted, coming soon card as a, as a method or tool farming. But if you add that to your farm and do the whole farm, so we do 200 houses if it's outside the farm. And that's a source that we use and I can get you the name or the concierge can. That's automatic. We pay a higher price for them to do 200. When it's in our farm, we go every door direct. So it's EDDM, and I think the actual website is like EDDM.UPS, USPS. Yeah, it's, yeah, so it's every door direct marketing, correct? Mail. That's mail, mail, that's it. Every, no, I know the M was for something. And keep in mind, the Postal Service doesn't spend a lot of money to get high on Google. So like the first three or four that you, if you Google it, the first three Probably. or four services to sell. You get to the every door direct mail. That website is phenomenal. Me and Phil kind of argued about this a little bit when we were talking about it. I said the first place you should go to determine your farm is every door direct mail. Phil said MLS. Yeah. So we, we, do, we do this. We go to MLS. We figure the neighborhood we want. And then we go back to the every door direct and find out which mail routes. And usually it's several mail routes. And then the mail route will usually hit another neighborhood or something else outside. It'll never be just perfect like that neighborhood. 
So we usually just do the entire neighborhood and scoot out and it might be like one other neighborhood around here. I didn't even know we did that until we kept getting calls in this one neighborhood and they said, You're getting, we're getting your farming. I'm like, we don't farm that neighborhood. Where are they getting? And come to realize my team's like, no, no, we still market there. They're getting the farming from the neighborhood that they're next to, the country club neighborhood they're next to, but they're not in there. But just it shows you, you don't even have to you don't even have to have the information of their true neighborhood on there, but just see in your face every day or once a month, not every day, once a month, just keeps you top of mind and they will call you. So we're literally getting it from a neighborhood that we farm that we're not even given the stats on that exact neighborhood. Just to market the neighborhood next to it, which is crazy. Yeah, right. Hold on one second, I got a question here. This may be a really dumb question. Sorry if this is not a thing. Is it, do you do just sold postcards for homes that you help buyers buy in your farm? Yes. I, I don't do that. Is that, what? I don't do that. I'm going to write it down right now. Don't yell at me. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's be real clear. What's easier to get right now, a buyer or a seller? Buyer, right? Every time you get a buyer, don't look at them as a buyer. Look at them as a pathway to another seller. That's why we do it. So my, we put together a sale in a home. We have rules we can't use their picture. So during their walkthrough, they take a picture of the house. Sometimes we take a picture of the people in front of the house holding our sign. And then we put on a postcard and we send it out just sold as a buyer. And the postcard, all the language in the postcard is targeting what? Seller. Seller. Got another question here. I was just going to say it was... It didn't cross my mind, but that's ingenious because we do, we call it the newsletter, the, the subdivision newsletter, so everybody actually opens it instead of Rover newsletter or whatever. But on the first page, we always put a neighborhood spotlight. I can use that photo of my buyers just sold in the neighborhood on there. Perfect. If you guys are not doing that, obviously I wrote it down because I got yelled at and I'm not doing it. So Barrett did not ask a stupid question. It was a great question. I wrote it down. So let's, because here's the thing is. It's so hard. Like our listings are a lot less than we usually are. We're we're getting some buyers, so why not use those buyers for our advantage to add them to our farming? That's a, if that's you great. don't take a picture of the house, let me give you a really really big tip. Uh, Phil, what neighborhood do you live in? I live in the peninsula. Okay. Is there a logo or a monument that comes in that recognizes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you don't get a picture of the house, one of the great farming techniques is. You use a picture of the logo of the neighborhood or the monument that comes in, something they can recognize it. If you send me a piece of mail, I probably won't recognize a house in my entire neighborhood. But if you send me a piece of mail and you have, and I live in Metal Ridge, Troy, and you got the Metal Ridge, Troy monument or the logo, and that's your main photo, it catches my attention because I'm like, I live there. And I will look at your postcard. Because you understand the shelf life of a postcard. How long does a postcard last? Eight seconds on average. You're right. From the mailbox to the trash can. It's boom, it's boom, it's done. So I, I, I agree with that 100%, but I have been, and I'll, I'll get to these questions. I have been to some listings, and I don't know if you have, because I've farmed them for so long. And I don't know if it's just some people are that way. They've literally saved them all so they can see the appreciation. Who else? Raise your hand if you've, if you've gone there and they've had stacks of your stuff. Like, I know the majority of them, and I know most of us toss all that kind of mail, but some of them that, that it actually truly works for, like literally they'll save them. Like you've been sending me stuff for two years and they, they've saved them. They if saved if them they're all. saving them, 
they're basically starting the interview process far in advance. You know, some people, the adopters, some people are really, really, really late to the party. The people that have to take a very long time to determine to hire, they will save it. So someone write this down and remind me before we get to the end of the class. I'm going to tell you how to add value in your farm through a technique of going after referral partners, and your postcard will get a shelf life like you won't see. Oh, yeah. I remember that. We're gonna th- that I, won't, I won't let you forget it. That's my hook. Stay for the whole class. <laughs> so one of the things I've done for a number of years is uh, – is that better? Okay. Is every time I have a listing, uh, as it closes, I, of course, change the, my client's address as well, but I put the listing that just closed back on the mailing list with the new buyer's names. It just is automatic. It goes in because, and I have, I didn't have any other contact information for a couple of these listings that I've had recently just because nobody else stayed in touch with them. You guys want a really big tip? You know what the, one of the advantages of coaching is we can learn more from our students than sometimes we provide you. And I'll give Abby Nelson credit for this. I did a reverse site visit, visit her site visit, or I visit her office, and she does. When, the, when one of her buyers purchases a home, she has a little sign that she puts in the yard, gets permission, and it says something like, this home was purchased by using Abby Nelson, and that little sign goes in the yard for, I don't know, a week, 10 days after they move in with permission. So, again, it's that stacking effect. But one thing to add there, when we talk about um, you know other students, other coaches, one thing I've learned from Jim Bass, if when he has a listing in that neighborhood he farms in, he has so many directionals that literally it looks like he has like 17 houses for sale in the neighborhood when he has one. All right, open houses, blow them up. That's more stacking effect. I did it, and then I got in trouble in one neighborhood, so we do it in the ones that we don't get in trouble in. So it depends on the neighborhood. Some neighborhoods do not allow you to have directionals. They're not allow you to do open house signs. It just depends on the neighborhood. But blow everything up. Like we talked about blowing up buyers like use your buyers for marketing in the neighborhood use your sellers just listed just under contract just sold it really just needs to be just hammering them and once you have if you can use the every door direct it's very inexpensive and we'll go over costs and stuff here in a minute mike would you uh call or door knock for stacking effects on top of all this that is that is something that works we don't we don't do it i know some of my agents when we've done open houses they've door knocked again in that neighborhood for open houses just to let them know what we had going on. But that's I know some markets work, and they do uh, door knocking. That is another thing that you can add to be stacking. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> do you do that? Yes. All right. I, I, I won't walk house to house. So have I knocked on someone's door to get a listing? Yes, I have. But I have, I have not door knocked in my farm. Jay's got to get his steps in. So... so Here's the thing when you're looking at farming. We're going to talk about numbers. This is something me and Phil kind of has a difference of opinion. Uh, I believe if you're going to start a farm out, it should be 250 homes at the minimum. I think Phil said 500. Yep. So, Five, 500 is a minimum. So here's the thing. It's no different than your database. The smaller your farm is, obviously the more depth you can go into it. If you're doing 1,000, you're not door knocking, walking, stopping by, doing an Easter egg hunt, all that kind of stuff when it gets that big. So I like starting small. You can save on your costs. And I like building a really solid foundation and having it where you're the mayor of 20 homes and then 100 homes and build up from there. 
I currently farm. I guess we haven't even talked about this. Yeah. How many How many do you send out currently? How many do I send out yeah, currently? What, like, so the neighborhoods that we farm, they're anywhere from 500 to 1,500, and we totally send out about 6,500. So it's about six different neighborhoods that we send out um, farming to. It's about six, and then right around that 6,000, 6,500 total um, is where we're at. And I remember I was on radio with you. This is prior to you farming. And so I think some of these people might be there. What did you start with? Start with houses? farming or? Farming. What did you start with? Well, I, I did no farming at first. I started with zero farming. And then I did one neighborhood at a time. So you don't have to add four or five or six. Start with just one. Start with just one neighborhood. And the important part is that, and we talked about it, you really need that six to 12 months. When um, Jay and I were talking, we were, you know remembered the book that we read was Chop Wood, Carry Water. It's literally like growing bamboo. I mean, it's going to be, it's all this happens underneath the soil, and then all of a sudden it explodes out. And that's what happened to me. I was about to give up because I was at that like eight-month period. I'm like, I just spent a ton of money and nothing's happening here. What's going on? And then once you get one and then you blow it up with all the directional signs and just listed, just sold, and keep going, it just goes on from there. So, so. I, you know, I coach a lot of students, and a lot of my students know I farm. And when you come to my office, I mean, you've been there, Brad, right? I mean, I mean, do we have a serious farming setup in the back office? Like, we're serious about it. We didn't start there. Tell you an interesting point about farming with me, a little story. So I was selling real estate prior to the core in a little community called New Richmond. It's where I went to school. The average sales price in that community was 186000 And I was not farming there. I was doing about 50 units a year, so pretty good business. And got introduced to the core. And one of the things I worked on, if you haven't had Steve Kerr as a coach, at the time Steve Kerr really works on raising your average list price. So I looked at, a, I looked at an area. I started farming where my office is, I started farming five years before I moved my office there. Five years, I farmed a, neighbor, I farmed in a, a city which was 50 miles away for five years before I moved there. Average list price in that at the time was 363. And so I just thought, man, if I was going to do 50 deals at 186 and I move my office 50 miles over and I do 50 at that price point, wow, I did it for five years. The first year I started actually selling in that market, I was already one of the name brand agents my first day there because I farmed it for five years. Hold on. That was, write this down. I know he talked about a long time of doing it, but pick a price point that you want to work in. Write that down. Pick a price. So, you know, if you're living in a house that's three, four, five hundred, but you want to market a million dollar price point. Just market there, all right? Market your price points. That's one of the things. You want to pick a geographical area, but pick an, a price point that you want to be in, all right? That's one of the things when he talked about, you know, Steve um, and Rita was this way. They really had these high price points, and they're in areas where there is lower price points. So you just farm in those areas that you want to be in, and you can dominate that. I'm so, what's that, Mike? You can pick the highest price, so it's it's really I mean, and, and that's what I what I've done. I've marketed the highest price point in the area that has enough turnover, and I've kind of had that area expanded a little bit, where it's fifteen hundred homes, 
So I mark it to that area. And that's one of the things when I think, I think uh, Rick was yelling at me on the back porch that day. He's like, I don't get any of your marketing. I'm like, I don't send any out. So I started having to do it. He's like, I live on the lake. Everybody that has big houses live on the lake. Why don't you send? I'm, I remember it clearly. But, to, you know, the answer to your question, why wouldn't you send it to the highest price? I think leads us into probably the first thing we should look at when you're determining your farm. What criteria are you going to use to determine your farm? And this might be a good chance for us to, you know, talk among the table some criteria that you would want to use for farm. You want to take a time yep, to take yep. this? Yep, we're going to take a few minutes. You guys at your table, longest hair first, and then go around the table. Longest hair first, what your criteria is going to be, what your criteria is for your farming or what it's going to be for your farming. Let's come back. So we've, we have some great questions. Um, I know Jay did, so we'll probably, I want to kind of chat about a few things that we talked about. Um, and then I'm going to come around and bring the mic. So any, anything you got to use for um, your ideas and, and where you're marketing. So love, again, be interactive. We had some great conversations at these tables. So I just want to kind of hear. We talked a little bit about here, and we talked about um, the cost, right? We talked about the cost. So from... And it, a lot of it depends on the size. So it was, it was a question on size and cost. So depends on what size you do. So we alter our size depending on the neighborhood, a little bit bigger for the, the nicer ones. Um, but my cost for 6500 for every door direct is about $2,000 a month. So 6500 So we have a super um, high-end printer because we use it for everything. Instead of I have the staff to do it, so we lease a super high-end printer. And we just do we print it right right from our office, so that's why it's so economical to do it at only two grand. Obviously, if you have to have a printer or some or, you know um, contract out someone to print it, it's going to be a little more expensive. Um, obviously, if you're you know my team prepares it and prints it, so I'm just paying just for the the every door direct cost, which is about two grand. So for about sixty five hundred in in in, um, in pieces. Cost up there because cost is one of the criteria you should use to determine your farm. For me, the cost we run about ten thousand now. We're doing every door direct mail. We're doing about eight thousand. So my every door direct mail ones are a larger one, glossier. We do print that in house. We got the a nicer printer for it. We also outsource it sometimes to Vista Print, and we also outsource the Helmer Printing. A lot of those places will run specials and promotions, so I've got somebody that's you know monitors that, and they're all about it. And then we do a smaller one for oh, about. Hold on, real quick, too. I'm going to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. So when you're using a local company, that could be someone again that is added to your VIP. If you're doing business with them and you're printing a lot, I mean, I don't know what the cost is directly to them, but you're obviously spending money at that place. You can refer them out to other businesses. So that is, again, another auxiliary benefit of having it printed somewhere else. So we got questions. Okay, keep going, Jay, and then I'll get the questions. Keep going. So in, in my numbers, I looked at them prior to the class. We run about thirty-six to 3800 a month on the Every Door Direct Mail, and that turned into about two hundred and sixteen for the year. So we're running just about five times ROI on it. And again, I know when some of my students come and they want to get involved in farming and they, and they start it and they get frustrated, 
a lot of times they look at it and say, well, man, you seem to get a lot out of your farm. Well, a couple things. I planted my seed a long time ago, so it's got a pretty good shade right now. You plant the seed tomorrow, you're not going to have much of a shade from the tree. And the other thing is the stacking effect that we've, we've hit on, and we're going to go deeper into that. The more, the more items you can stack and the more times you can put it together, the higher ROI you're going to get. And again, stacking sometimes might be outside the farm, and we're going to talk about that. So yeah, I was looking at my numbers, and we were right around that five percent too. We just calculated them. We, we were about spending twenty grand or so in that range, a little over twenty, and we're around one hundred and forty thousand. And again, it's not going to be these things that just break records numbers. It's one of those things, and it's hard. That's everything we can calculate. Like Jane had talked about, says that there's some things that. They might have got farming, but then they got something else, and they, they, they said the source was a referral from a neighbor, but they've seen your farming. I've had people say, I saw you on that bill. I'm calling because of the billboard. I'm like, I'm not on a billboard. It's like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not. So I think it might just be obviously farming, and it is. I'm like, you get my postcards. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Um, so, uh, so, so it's just one of the things that you can't track. Sometimes it's hard to tell exactly if it was from that farming, but that's how we track. And I was telling Jay, too, you know, when COVID first hit, like all of us, like, and we're, we're looking at our budget every day. So I cut farming out one year, like literally cut. I'm like, that, that's one of the things. Again, we didn't gross crazy numbers. So I'm like, cut it out. 20 grand. Let's cut it off the table. We still that year, because of doing it so much, we still did about 40,000 in revenue from farming just because, and, and that's without doing it, but we started it back up again and just went right back to having a great year with it too. Again, again, it's not going to be record-breaking numbers. It's one of those things that adds icing to the cake. So, And I, when COVID hit, I did two things. I increased my farming by 25%. Jay's smarter than I am. And like I said, he follows process. I change a lot. And the reality is my justification was there's some events we won't be doing now. So I can put more money into something people are getting. The one great thing about farming is this. You know what your open rate is. <laughs> In a sense, right? You can send out all the emails. I think the last time we saw Rick's numbers on emails, I mean, he's sending out a lot of emails to get a little bit of open rate. Farming, it goes to their mailbox. So, okay. um, so let's, let's kind of go around table yep. and take some criteria in determining your farm, and then we'll add some that we use. Cool. So what do you got from that yeah, table? I, know, I don't know if we had criteria or if you have questions, whatever you have. Quick question. Do you co-brand with anybody like a lender or anything like that? Yes. We'll talk All right. About what about criteria? Do you guys have a criteria? What was one of your biggest things? Brad's got some stuff on criteria for a farm. Thank you. Um, basically, where you live at price. Um, okay. Where I think you live? Completely stole this from Jay on another class, but he said if you don't have a farm, pick a neighborhood that's been built out for it's been about four years and start farming it because most of those people bought through the builder and there wasn't a lot of realtors involved. And right around four or five years, they're all starting to move. And um, I haven't done that, but it was just something that I remember Jay said a long time ago. We so call write, that, it down, write it down and actually do it this time, please. We call that new <laughs> construction orphans. So that's that's great. I, hey, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go write to, write that what, down for me. What's the itch cycle when it comes to selling a house? People, five to seven years. Okay, if you now Phil just built a beautiful home. He's not in it yet, and I told him almost. That. <laughs> so now that you built this beautiful home, when you go to sell it, what's the likelihood you're gonna build again next? After Tammy, yeah, probably never. Out. 
Never. <laughs> so, the National Association of Home Builders, most people that build home, new homes, when they sell, they build another new home. So that person tends to work with builder reps, but they don't build, most builder reps cannot sell the backup listing. So right. new construction orphans is about 15% of my entire farm is neighborhoods that a builder did, a big national builder, cookie cutter builder, and I come in in about five years after the builder leaves and I start farming it. Or I come in about three years after the builder leaves and I start farming it. It is a great, and you can, the beauty is, you can get all the floor plans for the neighborhood right now. You can get all the lot premiums, all the elevations. You create a three ring binder for that neighborhood. And then you start farming three years from now. And when they call you up and say, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Junko Street. Oh, cool. Did you do the Hayward plan or did you do the Ventura plan? Okay, did you do elevation B or C? Because C had the extra corbels. Are they hiring you? God, oh, it's simple. That is huge. Write that down. New construction neighborhoods that are in that three to five, seven year range. That's just because most people, that's the time frame when they're when they're moving. And literally, even if they had a realtor on the, on the buy side, you know, most realtors don't follow up like we do and keep in touch. And usually the most of the time, when, if they've had a realtor on new construction, they're like, they didn't even do anything to help me. So they're not calling them back. So that's, that's definitely a big source. That's great. We do have some other sources of um, criteria for farming. I was just going to agree with Jay. We do the same thing. We farm. Uh, it's a very cookie-cutter, Viridian neighborhood is the builder. And another thing that's really nice about doing that is the market analysis are so easy to do because they have the same house, three houses down that just sold. So you don't, you know, you know what the price is going into it. And it's not a lot of work, so it's super easy. Yeah, usually a handful of floor plans, so it makes it easy. Square footage is usually the same. What do we got? Any other criteria here? You guys got anything? Here? No one? That's All it? All right. Well, I'm gonna... Oh, I got one back here. Good. Angelo. I don't know about everybody else's market, but one thing, we have a lot of absentee homeowners in our market, and those people, especially right now with house, housing prices being up, they're very likely to sell, and that's kind of where we've been targeting. I actually pulled out of my neighborhood because it didn't work for me. I'm much better off putting that money into absentee uh, condo towers and neighborhoods. So do you, do you obviously find their address, obviously, wherever they're at, where their primary residence is in that area? Also, a former course student told me, real marketing for you, they do a market analysis. It's a big folder thing. It costs about a dollar. When I walk into somebody's house, they usually have 10 of them stacked up. They keep them. Real marketing for you. It's the number four and the letter U. All right, so some of the criteria that Jay and I have, obviously price point we've already talked about. Location, I like it close to where your office is or house. Um, for me, it needs to be, no one talked about turnover. We did a little bit earlier. Um, I usually like 10% or more. You know, 10% or more turnover. Um, Zach has a question. So 10% or more turnover um, to make sure that there's enough houses selling in there. Another thing to look for is if there's a dominant agent already who's got 25% or more of the sales, then you might want to not do that because somebody's already dominated it. That's, that's great because Jay and I were talking about that earlier when we were teaching the class. That was one of the things that I said. If there's an agent that has a huge hold on that neighborhood, 
um, to not market there, where Jay had a different opinion and thought on it. Um, his thought is, if it's only one other agent, there, there's some people that are like, I'm not using that agent because. So if you can be that number two backup. Long again, there's enough turnover. You know, if we're only talking about 20 houses that are turning over, maybe not. But if you're having 100 houses, that's still a lot of houses that, you know, even if they're not 50% market share, that's still another 50 houses that you can capture. So, so I'm piggyback off what I think it was you that was sharing about living in your in your farm. One of the farms that I do is probably the second highest price point in my area. It's across the street from my neighborhood. There is a dominant husband and wife couple that farm that neighborhood. They're on the HOA. They do all the events and everything. Here's the thing. They don't like them. Okay, they don't like them. When they try to get, you try to get your kid's trampoline approved, they basically <laughs> sue you, right? So the neighborhood don't like them. Now, they're dominant. They're spending a lot of money. Usually, if you're going to try to take over a neighborhood in farming with a dominant agent, usually the only way you can win is to outspend them. And that's not the core philosophy. We don't outspend nope. to take over a neighborhood. But being a backup person, so in our, in, in, in our marketplace, we have four or five really dominant national companies. There happens to be a feeling like, okay, you're going to use Big Red. I want to get opinion from Blue. If you're going to use big red and blue, I want to get opinion from yellow, right? So we tend to have that in our marketplace where some people avoid companies. They had a bad experience. Like what Rick said, 65% of people have a bad experience. If they have a bad experience with your brand, it may not be a local brand like Puma. It might be a big brand like these big companies that you work under. They may never hire you regardless because they had a bad experience. That's why I like to be number two because of those, those couple things there. Some other criteria that, that I use to determine my farm, and this is one of the reasons why I go to EDDM first. EDDM, once you select the route, and like Phil was talking about, sometimes your neighborhood spills into a couple different routes. It happens. I like to select the route and then go back to looking at the MLS and how it relates. But EDDM has some really great statistics. They will tell you the average income in that neighborhood. They will tell you... The average turnover rate. It will also tell you things like the average age. It'll tell you the number of residential houses. And they really break it down some really detailed information as you play with the website. I like it. And then the other thing is when you talk about setting it and forgetting it, my, my staff, what they do is they give me a report on our farming. And it's not, it's not Metal Ridge or Troy or Marsh Creek, it is Route 074, Route 078, Route 096. These are actual routes that I farm, and it breaks it really down. So that's one of the things I look at. That's all free information, whether you farm an area or a neighborhood, but it's just really cool to go on there. I mean, my team goes on there. I didn't realize how much stuff was on there until Jay and I talked about it, but there's so much information there that you guys could use, which is super important. Besides your just listed and um, sold postcards, how many pieces are you sending out and how often? Um, and we remove the, the other realtors in our farm off of our list, but that's neither here nor there. But, um, like, what are you guys looking at each for pieces to your farm, like the farm you live in? So the, the total is 6,500. I think my exact neighborhood is 1,500. I think she's talking about the plan. One, one a month. So every neighborhood is one time per month. One time per month for me. 
So their postcards, actually, if you, if you turn to the page 160, 156, um, they're all in here. If you keep going through um, all that list, they've made them a little smaller than what we usually send out. Um, so what to put on them. I know we're, we're going to talk about what to put on them here in a minute, too, and what size and stuff they are. Um, I think, did Kevin, you have another question? Okay, cool. So, so Phil, the, I think the, the piggyback off that question, here's kind of how mine breaks out. Postcard. EOS, something fun, market update, and then what I try to do is I try to sprinkle them in. So, and then I try to do one newsletter for per year. I used to do it quarterly. I backed down the semi-annual. Now I just do it one, and I, I sprinkle in. So you'll kind of see a lot of mine. Um, I do events that takes up one postcard. I, I always do my St. Patrick's Day one that says, "Look, luck has nothing to do with selling homes. A good agent does." And I got my, you know, Easter one that says it's time to hop to it if you're thinking about selling. So I do some fun things like that. I sprinkle it up. You'll see some of the market ones. I give them some neighborhood information. So those are kind of, I, I sprinkle mine in. And I try to do, again, one a month for sure. When I just start a farm, if any of you guys are in, 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 ever been in the medical industry, and I grew up getting hammered by it by my mom, when you get a prescription, they typically give you what up front? A loading phase, right? I like to do a loading phase every time I go into a new farm. A loading phase works like this. I'll do a postcard every week for 12 weeks. And then I go once a month. Now, here's the great thing. Some farms I've been doing so long, I've backed it down to every other month, and they don't know it. They still think they get it every month. So there's some things to keep on there. Other things for criteria... I think it's really important to determine market share, turnover rate, absorption rate. Those are really important to determine why you want to go in that neighborhood. And another thing I'll tell you, if you're not excited about the neighborhood, don't farm it. That's what, I mean, it's just like, if you're not excited about the neighborhood, like you don't like the houses, no. you don't like the neighbors, don't farm it. Yep. And I would track, we, I mean, we talked about all of our farming together. We track specific neighborhoods, and we've altered neighborhoods because the numbers weren't working in the neighborhood. So track the neighborhood individually. Um, on those pages of 156 in the workbook, um, actually I actually don't have a farming piece. i got a just, low, just listed and just sold. But on my farming pieces, I have all the houses that have sold in that neighborhood. So it looks like we sold them all. And obviously you put the disclaimer in there that say that they could be sold through another agent, through MLS, whatever your MLS disclaimer has. So make sure you have the correct disclaimer for your MLS. But I have, you know, five houses sold. It looks like you are the expert and you sold all five of them. So I have all the statistics in there, the square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, the price, days on the market, all that kind of thing. So it looks like you're the expert and you've done it all. Um, always have a call to action. So you need some type of call to action on anything you send, whether it's a just listed or just sold or a farming piece. I always add a testimonial. So you'll see there's testimonials on mine. So make sure you add a testimonial. Make sure you change up the testimonial. My team's always big on changing up the testimonial. The last page, actually, the core now has put all of our stuff together, and there's specific farming pieces just listed and just sold to make it easy for your team just to literally drop and drag and put stuff in. I wouldn't know how to do it, but I know your teammates would know how to do it. Um, so it's really super easy. Like the core has access to the stuff. They really put it together so it's plug and play and easy for you guys. Yeah, Ryan. 
Jay, I noticed on some of your some of your previous pieces here, you guys had a QR code. Do you still utilize that, and where does it go to? Yes, we utilize it not as much. I've gone in and out with the QR code. The QR code a lot of times will go to my website. QR code may go to uh, We Need Your Help. You know, sometimes I send a We Need Your Help piece out to my farm, and the QR code goes to the website. Because, again, we're, we're kind of talking, we're, we're heading in the direction of what's on your card, right? So a really easy plan is number of months you're going to do it, what you're going to send out per month, how you're going to stagger it. Like you could go market update in January, evidence success in Tuesday. You could do all the homes that sold in, in March, right? Then you could do whatever in April, Easter one, or promoting a, a local event. So plan it out, how many you're going to do, what your context is in there, lay it out, draw it out, document it, put it on Google Docs so you know what it's going to do so you can step back and your team can step up and do it. So the QR codes, we have used those to go to different things. If you see some of my examples have, um, have phone numbers and a number there. So that's a talking hotline. So when they call that hotline and they put those numbers in, it, it, I know what house they're calling on or I know what postcard they're calling on. So there's some things like we've played with. Now, my most recent pieces don't necessarily have that. It's just, you got to play with the market. Something's hot. It's, got, it's, just, it's no different than football, right? If you got a running back that's hot, feed him the rock. If he's cold, pull him. So we kind of play with different things like that, QR codes and whatnot. i got some questions here. Can you guys talk about um, doing events in neighborhoods that you don't live in? And just if it's a gated community, how does that work, the whole stacking idea? So the good thing about Minnesota and Wisconsin is – I don't think we have a gated community anywhere. Um, so, so I wouldn't be able to speak on that, but I think there's, you have to get permission, whatnot, HOA, maybe you got, I have to get a, I usually get a liability insurance with my insurance area when I do it in a thing, I run it by the city, things like that. But stacking effect, let me hit on some stacking effect things. I'm just going to rattle these off really quickly and you'll kind of see how they all start to play with each other. Okay. You're farming a neighborhood. Let's say it's 250, 250 homes, okay? So every month they're getting a postcard. Maybe quarterly they're getting a newsletter, okay? You take a listing in that neighborhood. They get their just listed card. They get their coming soon. They get their offer accepted. They get their just sold card. You do an open house in that neighborhood. And you figure out, you take the neighborhood. Now, if you come to my office, I know some of you bid, uh, we have a place called the War Room. The neighborhoods we farm, we have the map up on the wall. I mean, do I have a wall of maps? I have a whole wall of maps. So when we do an open house in there, I look at the entry points into the neighborhood. Let's say there's six. We do an open house. Guess what all six of those entry points will have? Four signs. One on every corner. Guess when I put them out? I, I, I take a lot of credit for stuff my team does, by the way. Uh, guess when they put them out? Friday afternoon. Now, I know some municipalities don't let you do it. Some, they have to be out in two hours. I don't know your rules. We put ours out Friday afternoon, even on ones where we may not be allowed to, because a lot of my good friends are on the police force. They stop checking after Friday. Okay, they're home. We take them down Sunday night. Now, think about how the stacking effect works. Tammy's got to take G to cheerleading. So she goes out the north entrance, sees my sign. Then later on, she comes in and she realizes, man, I got to get some sugar-free Red Bull for Phil. So she goes out the east entrance, sees my signs. 
You see how the stacking effects start to work? You see my face on the postcard. You see my face on the newsletter. You see my 24 sign. If you enter that neighborhood anywhere you want. You also see when I do a community event, I like to use the community. One, one of the criteria I put up here is amenities the community might have. Because that might be a way to draw people in. So if the community has a community room where I can rent it, I'll do Santa Claus. I'll do a Thanksgiving turkey giveaway. So I'll do these, and I send out a piece of mail, or I send out a letter letting them know. We have buyers that are looking for their neighborhood. We send out a letter letting them know. So all these things start to stack, and they start to really stack. And then what happens is people just know you as the guy or the gal for the neighborhood, even if you don't live in the neighborhood. So I do check with a lot of things like, where can I put the food truck? Can I do it in a cul-de-sac? Can I do, do they have a park? You know, some neighborhoods you just can't do it. Yep. And then I always talk to my insurance agent to get make sure I'm protected and things like that. You talked about a food truck. How would you... How often are you doing that? You don't live in the neighborhood. Let's say it's not gated, so you don't have to worry about that. But And there's no community room. So can you talk about some events that you might do in this neighborhood that you farm that you don't live in? If there's no community area, if there's no park, if there's no we'll space where you can do things like that, it's probably not my farm. <laughs> so it's one of my so, criteria. Yep, that's exactly the same with me. Most of mine... They I would say most, every one of them have a clubhouse. So in, in ways to get into gated communities, if you have an open, they usually give you a passcode. But usually if you're farming in this neighborhood, right, if you're farming in this neighborhood and you're active in this neighborhood, who do you probably have that you know of in the neighborhood? Uh, previous clients, right? So you just call on your previous clients. Hey, who's on the board? Oh, you're on the board? Cool. Can you get me in? That's what I'm looking to do for an event. So use your previous clients to obviously help you get in touch with the right people or even give you the okay to get in there, right? They will help you do it. Like, hey, I'm coming. I want to I want to do Halloween um, bags for your neighborhood. Can I come in and do a Halloween event or Halloween truck or whatever? Just ask them. Anything you're adding for free, they're going to be like, sure. Can I bring a food truck? I'll pay for the food. Sure, bring it in. I mean, whatever it may be, they would okay it. So just use your previous clients because obviously you probably have sold at least one house in this neighborhood. You're farming in it. So you probably have clients that are in there or database or VIPs or somebody that you know might live in this neighborhood. Yep. So for us, it's holiday events, holiday events, all the way around holiday events. Yes. Yes. Do marketing before. Is that correct? You same? Same. Yeah. So I send it out food truck. A lot of times um, I, I happen to be really blessed that one of my really good friends owns three different restaurants and two different food trucks. So we do a lot of partners where he'll cap the meal item at six. So everything he puts on the food truck is going to be six bucks. And then what I'll do is I'll give him eight and we'll take the additional two dollars and we'll give it to charity. So we promote a charity. So we kind of do some things like that where we ask him to bring food goods or whatnot for a charity food shelf. So we like to promote it. I tend to do in, in my farms where I'm really dominated and that's where you're looking at market share, turnover rate, absorption rate. I tend to do definitely a, I tend to do a food truck in the summer every other year. I tend to do an Easter egg hunt every other year. And I tend to do breakfast with Santa Claus every other year. And the reason why I do them every other year is because every year 
I do breakfast with Santa Claus at a clubhouse for my entire database, farm and my database. Every year, I do a great pumpkin giveaway, the great pumpkin giveaway at my office for my entire database and my farms. I mean, do I got people coming to take pumpkins? Yeah, last year we went through 680 pumpkins. There's people that take pumpkins, I don't even know who they are. But that's why we do, that's how we do it. And we talked about the stacking effect. If you haven't created a Facebook page on your neighborhood or on the farm neighborhood, you're missing the boat. Create a Facebook page. Create a community page. Create a website. Promote babysitters. Promote handyman. Um, so when you're doing these neighborhood events and you're meeting all these people that, that don't really know you that well, are you doing anything to capture people's information, or is it all just handshakes and, hi, I'm so-and-so? Yes. What we're doing to capture information. Almost every one of our events will have a two or three baskets where they can put their information in to get the baskets. They have to fill out at least three lines of information and answer one question to be eligible to win. Name, email, phone number, and one of three questions. Are you thinking about selling? Are you thinking about building? Are you thinking about moving? Now, I know some of those are kind of the same question. It's okay. But that's why I'm targeting. So I'm, I'm looking at that. Another thing that's really good, we talk about stacking effect. I will hire people to do a door-to-door -door survey. A door-to-door -door survey. I hire, and just write this one down. I like to hire like Phil's lacrosse team. That's always looking for money for traveling, right? I will hire sports teams and I will purchase shirts for them with my logo on the back my logo on the front, their sports team. I will donate money to their organization. I will help them buy equipment, stuff like that. And they'll go door to door with a clipboard, usually two of them, and they will do a survey. Survey asks questions like this. What do you think of the neighborhood? What would you improve? What wouldn't you improve? Are you thinking about moving? What do you think of Jay? If you're going to hire a realtor, who's your first choice? I'm telling you that question I love. Because most of these people don't know anybody else. They're like, ah, uh, Jay. And I've got that from an interesting study. Interesting study on farming. If you want to look it up, Harvard Business Review did it. They took someone, a realtor, made it up. Fake company, fake realtor, and they farmed. And three years later, they went and surveyed. Who would you hire for your realtor? The fake company, fake realtor, 44%. <laughs> so, one other thing, when you're doing this stuff, when we talk about stacking effect, your advocates are going to be your previous clients, your people you know in there. If you have an event, what, they're gonna, you think they're going to come up and say hello to you or they're going to hide in the corner, right? They're going to be around you. Thank you very much for doing this. You are awesome. I love you. Anyone, I mean, they will be the people telling everyone about you. So, really, you know, it's one of those things that I like to do more events for my database um, and people that know me and like me. But when you're doing something like that, your people make sure the people that know you and like you already are coming to this event right that are in that neighborhood make sure you make phone calls to them and have them come make sure you bring your friends so even when i do database stuff when i do this big stuff where we do easter egg hunts and santa and a movie i tell them bring their friends and neighbors i want to meet those people because if you're meeting someone who already has an introduction from that person that knows you that's even better so use your clients that are already in that neighborhood we got a couple questions one here and then one there
So question for, like, this could be for everybody, but does anybody do farming for buyers and any thoughts on that? Farming to get buyers. I don't. I do not. Probably I do not. I do know somebody that does a home buyer class in their farm and they market it. It's just another event. I mean, you can get really creative with your event. Like, what's tonight's event? Havana nights, right? You could do one of those, right? If you got community center, you can do the Roaring Twenties. You can you can do some really fun things. I think a, a buyer a buyer event, an investment event, the Wealth Accumulator. These are really good events you could do for a neighborhood if they have a community center. And this thing's all stacking effect, right? I love the website and the Facebook pages. Like, you want to talk to Jordan on my team? Ask her how many Facebook pages she monitors. Seven. Twenty-seven. And some of them have flown off. Like, some of them are, they're setting up babysitting. They're setting up lawn mower care. They say, look at this how this car drove by really slow last night. Anybody get the license plates? Like, it's, it's on their own. But who controls the website? Who controls the Facebook page? I do. So I, I think when you when you we look at our market today, it's like we're all trying to chase listings. And Zach's question was on buyers. It's just so hard right now. I mean, so many of us have so many buyers. I think that might change. I know there's been more people that have done farming to you know rental places and that kind of thing. Um, and I and I know there's people that have done it in the past. I think right now everyone's so over inundated with. The amount of buyers we have, not enough houses to put them in. So, but that is a great question. We have some more here. I was just going to say, um, we do a Sean every year right after tax time, and we just picked up a listing from it because they said, oh, we were trying to get everything ready for the house, yada, yada. Um, and we make sure, and we run up to the car, and we talk with them while we're taking out the boxes, and they come with just like this little tiny box. But we had two hours of nonstop cars uh, about two weekends ago. And then we also organized twice a year garage sale in the neighborhood. And so we get all their their email, their address. We put it on a sheet for them. We map it out for the whole neighborhood. And we personally hand deliver uh, donut holes in a little Chinese food box container with our stuff on them. And I picked up uh, this last one, an $800,000 listing, which we then double-site. We double-site almost all our neighborhood stuff. Uh, just because everybody knows we're the team in there. So we started farming 18 months ago, 650 houses, and I did uh, 11 deals out of it last year, and I do all the community events. Everybody knows who we are in there. Now, I'm a little freaked out because I haven't picked up anything yet this year, and I, I but I, every single house that goes up, I'm like, who is the agent? And it's all these agents that have done, you know, you can tell it's their mother, brother, cousin because they've done two deals ever. So I'm hoping some of that will shift that, that's Phil, awesome stats. So I Phil, guess, do you, do you have listing agreements with you when you're doing the shredded event? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing to add. Forget the sign-in thing. You have some have some listing agreements pre-printed, ready so, to go. So, uh, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know. So the shredding event, we do the shredding event on the same time as Earth Day, and we buy little pine trees and give them a tree when they come to do the shredding. Say hey, look, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a big I'm not a big forestry guy, right? But there's some people. It's like we go a lot of paper. So some of the complaints you'll get, people will be like, "You do a lot of paper. You you kill a lot of trees." So now we've given out a tree, a little tree. We can buy them the DNR. Last time we bought them, they charged us like two dollars and fifty cents a tree, which is almost double what it was four years ago. But nonetheless, so we give them a tree that contradicts that. When I talk about, and we'll, we'll get into this, actually, it's probably a good time to talk about. You guys want, you guys want Camp. farming tactic right now? Yes. Are you ready for it? Something like that. So here's what it is. Um, 
And here's, and, and I'll note too, in real estate, and this is what I love about the core, we do not have extensive budgets to do R&D. So you know what R&D is in real estate? Rip up and duplicate. Okay, so I stole this from somewhere. I don't know where, so it's hard to give it credit. But here's the stacking effect that happens with it. So we do, we promote local businesses on our farm. It's an item of value. Now, I didn't have one in the book. I can show you a picture. I'll send a picture to the concierge. I'll send like the last eight we did. Now, let me, let me kind of walk through this for a few minutes. I won't take too long, but it's really important. What's Rick Harping on Realtors should go do right now? Get more what? Referral partners, VIPs. Now, Rick just set up on stage. If you lived in, lived in his neighborhood, you know he owns a building. He's got cars. He's got businesses. Okay, so when you're targeting these whales and you're targeting these VIPs and these referral partners, Chamber of Commerce gives you a list. It's pretty simple. Like, you don't have to do much research. Join the chamber, 368 businesses, phone number, email, contact. Now, here's what we did. And we did it in COVID. No, I said we increased our farm by 25%. This is the first thing we did. In March, we started this ideal. Local, a small hair salon called Stilo Cuts just opened up an office right across the street from my office. I got to know the owner, and I walked over there, and I'm like, you know what? Let me promote your business to my farm. I farm, I farm eight houses, 800 houses next to this business. He goes, you would do that? I go, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll pay for everything. So there's number one. I pay for it all. I pay for the design. I pay for the postage. I pay for the postcard, all of it. Okay, my postcard is designed like this. 80% of the front of the postcard is their business. 20%, the bottom 20%, my picture, my logo, my phone number. Back of the card, all me. Half the card talks about why hire me. And I got really clear, best negotiator, get you the highest price. I'm going to sell your home the fastest. And it says, want to know what your home is worth? Here's a website. You want to have Jay come out? No obligation private. It's all on the back of the card. Business owners. And here's the funny thing. I have yet to have a business owner sign a contract, and I've done 18 of these already now, and it's been a game changer for me. I do it all by email. Our honor agreements by email. Business owner has to give me this. They have to give me their logo. They have to send it to me in a format I can use by email. In the email, I want them to say that they're going to give me permission to use their logo. They have to come up with an item of value. Now, here's the difference. I've had some people do this, and they miss this next part. They pay for the item of value, not you. So I had some people go, oh, Jay, I did it. We gave up away a cupcake, and we sent out a 1,000 of them, and I had to buy 280 cupcakes. No, you did it wrong. So you say, so the first one I did was Stilo Cuts. $35 for a men's haircut at this place. So we rolled it out, $15 off your haircut. That's what they offered. They opened, grand opening, I tell you, this is dumb luck, right? Grand opening, March 10th, 2020. My postcard went out April 1st, 2020. I already had them printed. Our state shut down March 17th, 2020. No hair services for about 35 days. 
I thought, man, I blew it. Bad timing. You know what I mean? So, needless to say, I didn't do the next one. Let this play out. I go there after they opened up to get a haircut. This is probably in June, maybe. Maybe late May. I walk in. First thing they say is, you're, you're, the, you're the guy in the postcard, right? I'm like, yeah. And he kind of goes, picture looks a little bit different. Yeah. You know, COVID. So anyways, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, your haircut's on us. I'm like, ah, oh, you guys don't have to do that. I mean, you guys got to make a living. He goes, no, it, it's on us. He goes, in the last 10 days since we've been open, 76% of our walk-ins came from your postcard. I cannot buy a haircut at that place. Now, I don't go there often because I feel guilty because now it's been a couple of years. So that stemmed where now Rick wants us to make more calls. Rick wants us to visit more people. Rick wants us to get more relationships. Now I seek them out and I go, hey, Paul, he owns Agave. I go, you got these legendary nachos. They're 15 bucks, but they're really good. I go, you pick up the nachos, I'll do all the mailing postcard. I'll send it out to 6000 Here's an example of Stilo Cuts. He goes, I go, I'll do $50 minimum purchase. He goes, do 25 I go, dude, your drinks are 12 bucks. He goes, do 25 Sent out 8000 of them. I have now listed and helped six of his servers buy houses in the last year. I tell you right now, that's one of the things that I took away when planning this class with Jay, and that's the one thing I'm going to go back and do. I think it's absolutely huge. When we talked about shelf life, when we talked about the majority of the people toss them away, this is a game changer. They will keep them, right? They will keep them. Everyone keeps coupons and gift cards. How many people like just hoard gift cards and don't ever use them, but at least you got them and you have them somewhere. No. So, I mean, you will have this and they'll use this. And they'll, and then it just gives that added bonus to that VIP that could, could be added as a VIP if they're not already a VIP. And so. let, me, let me drill it home really quick. I started sending it out to the three chambers I'm in. I didn't originally. If you want to sell something to a realtor, Tell the realtor how well the competitor is using it. So I start sending out to the chambers. Guess who calls me now? Their competitors. Oh, I saw what you did for Paul at Agave. Can you do it for my Taco Libre? I'm serious. They call me now. And now I can go and sit back and go, man, I got an opening in October and in February of 2023. Unless you can get me a really great incentive. I send it to my database. I send it to the chamber. I send it to my farm. Huge, it's an huge, item huge. of value. I had a local realtor call me up, livid, fun livid. He's like, Jay, your postcard's been on my fridge for four <laughs> months. My wife won't let me throw it away. He's like, I am sick and tired of seeing your face. It's on both sides, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, just cut my face off and keep the postcard up there. It's a really good value. They keep it. We only got a couple minutes, I think, Phil. Yeah, a couple minutes. Um, we'll be around for questions. I know there's some more questions. But I'll tell you right now, um, Jay just freaking crushed it. I got so many notes here. So give it up for Jay. <laughs> Obviously, you guys got to use your, I think it's a, is it a QR code for this? They give us a five. So go to the QR code. We really appreciate you coming. Hopefully, you took some nuggets here that you guys can go and start farming or add some stuff to your farming. Thank you very much. Been listening to the Core's Sales Training Bootcamp.
registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.lacortraining.com.